Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. So we're glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Jim, and if I haven't gotten the privilege to meet you or welcome you, just know from the bottom of my heart, so glad that you're here. And if you can hang out with us a little bit after the service, I'd love to get to know your name, get to know you and your family. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're celebrating. It's May, so just about every single Sunday something new in May. And this one happens to be one of those campaign building milestones that we're celebrating in just a little bit. So I've got to preach fast if you'll listen fast. And here's the deal. We've got breakfast for you. It's covered right out under the canopy. We've got bagels for the building. And so we'll introduce you more to that in just a moment. But I just wanted to give you the opportunity, the invitation to hang out with us a little bit after the service, have breakfast with us, walk around, meet people, greet people. And we will love, we just love celebrating. We love food and we love celebrating around here. So you're more than welcome to hang out with us. This is the other deal. I have to keep this sermon to 15 minutes today because of the financial updates that I get to share with you. So if I preach longer than 15 minutes, you guys get to bum rush the stage and carry me off, okay? You guys have full permission to completely... Declare mutiny and get me off of this stage. So uh, I'm going to be do my best, stick to 15 minutes. And if I don't, you'll let me know about it, right? Can I trust you for that? All right, you'll let me know about it. Even if it's a serious part of the service, just shout out and I will end it and we'll get on to some more cool things. But this morning, if you're joining us, this is our last sermon in our series entitled Sleeping Giants. And we're covering the schemes that the enemy uses to lull us, the church, to sleep. We're covering four, really, four major topics, four major tricks, schemes that Satan uses in our hearts to convince us this mighty great behemoth of a battleship that is the church. He convinces us somehow that we're sinking, that we're losing, that we're the only ones left standing. Ever felt like that before? Like, man, anybody got my back? Anybody know what I'm going through? Anybody ready to lead the charge, stand in the gap with me? Oftentimes, in our church circles, we get duped into thinking that the enemy's got us on the retreat. And that is just not the case. We're winning. The enemy has already been defeated. And so the only ploy, the only trick he has left is to get us asleep because he knows that we'll be ineffective if he can get us and lull us to sleep. So we talked about deceit. And Elijah taught us that that's a trick on our minds. We talked about distraction and how Absalom got distracted with so many things that got him off course. We talked about Gideon and how this Old Testament giant was almost lulled to sleep through fear and through shame, through uh, just his doubts overwhelmed him. And then today, I believe we have almost the prototype of a sleeping giant. This was a guy who was incredibly gifted, incredibly powerful, 
incredibly strong. He had everything at his disposal. He was called out from birth, separated for the Lord. He was given every opportunity to succeed, and he squandered it because of desires, sinful, lustful desires. To the point that this Old Testament giant that we're going to end with today, he was better off, he was more effective, he was used to give damage to the enemy more so in his death than his life. Who am I talking about? Anybody know? Samson? See, there we go. What did I, what did I tell you guys at the 830 service? I said, Jerry's going to pretend like uh, he never heard this sermon. He's going to shout out the answer and get the credit for it. But I think Sherry Rauch beat you this time, buddy. Um, we're covering the Old Testament giant of Samson today. He was a Nazarite. In other words, the thing about Samson's life is that from birth, he was called out and chosen by God for a special purpose. That was to destroy the Philistines. God marked him out. Couple of things, couple of rules for Nazarites. You couldn't be around dead things. You couldn't cut your hair and you could not marry. Well, he did all three. He was a rule breaker and he did all three. But the reason why Satan was able to get to Samson with the scheme of desire is because he didn't guard his heart. Samson never guarded his heart. And that's the sad thing about his life that's the reason why he was better off dead than alive. Because desire, apart from the other three, now they're all schemes of the devil. They'll all, each, each of the four can lull you to sleep over time. Deceit will, distraction will, doubt will. But those three play upon your mind. They play upon your thought life. They get in your head and they spin their webs and try to entangle you. Desire is the only one that stands apart, and it entices your heart. Not your head, but your heart. Desire comes for your heart, and the, the slippery thing about the scheme of desire that this enemy holds on to is that he does not rest, he will not quit until he has all of your heart. The story of Samson can really be summarized by a man with a a heart torn in two different directions. When you read his life, and this will be in Judges 16 and 17, you can go ahead and turn there. In Judges 16 and 17, we read the life of Samson. Sad life. And he was really torn in two different directions. We see him calling upon the Lord at an early age. We see him trying to live right. We see him even taken out a lot of Philistines, thousands of Philistines. He was able to destroy, which was his purpose in life. But that gift, you know his gift, right? If you've read about his life, you know his gift, his talent, what he had to offer was his incredible God-given supernatural strength. He would have been the strongest man alive. I mean, it was told in Judges that he carried the city gates upon his back and, and destroyed Philistines with him. He he was incredibly strong, incredibly gifted, but his heart was always torn. It was torn in two different directions. I can either use my strength for the Lord or I can use my strength. I can use my status. I can use my place in life as a judge of Israel. I can use it to get the girl. And so we 
constantly see in Samson's life, he was torn between his lustful desires and his desire to please the Lord. And it wasn't until he fully surrendered all of his heart into those lustful desires, it wasn't until then, that the Spirit of the Lord left him, we read about in Judges 16, that the Spirit of the Lord left Samson. And God didn't give up on Samson. He just knew, all right, well, I will, I'm, I'm going to visit you one more time. It's going to be at your funeral, and I will use you to cause more damage to the enemy. By your death, he killed more Philistines in his death than his life. Let's just read those two verses in Judges 17, 19, and, or excuse me, 29 and 30. At the end of his life, they've already cut his hair, gouged his eyes out. They're using him as a, basically, an ox to churn the corn. He, he was being made fun of. He was being used as entertainment. This great judge of Israel now being tormented and afflicted. And here he is. They bring him out. All of the Philistines are gathered at their pagan temple of Dagon, and they're worshiping their false idol. They bring out Samson to entertain the crowds, and this is what he does. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. That's the temple of Dagon. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other pillar. Verse 30. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson was one a dead or alive, but more effective in his death. That's the theme that we've been repeating throughout these five weeks. Don't let it be said of us. Don't let it be said of decided church. I wonder what God could have done. I wonder what would have been possible with his life, her life. I wonder if they would have surrendered, if they would have guarded their heart, if they would have surrendered their desires to the Lord instead of their fleshly desires. I wonder what God could have done with their life. I want to be somebody who finishes well. I want to be somebody who's at the end of his life and has run his race. One of the great theologians of our time, one of the great preachers of our time, Tim Keller, he just passed away this week. He ran his race to the end. He lived his full life. Nobody would point a finger at Tim Keller's life and say, I wonder what God could have done. No, he, he did it. He lived his purpose. And so with Samson, we have to ask that question. I wonder what God could have done. I wonder what was the full potential, the full reality of Samson's life. But because he didn't guard his heart, we'll never know. Desire, and that's the thing about desires. They come for your heart. Doubt, distraction, and deceit, they all play mind games, but deceit, or excuse me, desire entices your heart. Because Samson didn't guard his heart, his desires continually put him in losing situations when he was outnumbered. We see throughout chapter 14 and 15 and 16, uh, because of his sinful, lustful desires that he never put in check, he never guarded, it says Samson went down, 14.1, verse 5, Samson went down, verse 7, he went down, verse 10, his father went down, verse 4, after he loved a woman in the valley. Over and over again, we see that desires, unchecked desires, drag you down, not up. They don't, they don't pull you into your purpose. They drag you down 
into defeat. They con- desires will drag you down. That's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us, hey, keep your heart, guard your heart, because from it flow all the issues of life. Desires continually force decisions in desperate situations. Who's ever made a bad decision because you're in a desperate, depressed situation? Right. We've all been there. We know, okay, times are dark. I know I'm feeling discouraged and depressed and maybe my desires aren't in check. This is not the time to make a major life decision, right? A major financial decision. But because his desires were left to run wild, Samson let his desires lead him instead of leading his desires. He was constantly put in positions where he had to make a major life decision in a crucial crucial environment, a crucial, desperate moment. There's several of them, but one of the most famous that you'll read about is 16 when we run into this woman named Delilah, who, by the way, he went down to Gaza to visit. Again, his desires constantly dragging him down. And he visits Delilah. He loves Delilah. And we know the tricks that Delilah played. She wanted to know the strength of his power because, well, she had the Philistines at her disposal. And at the right moment, she was going to call in those armies, overwhelm Samson, and they were going to capture this great threat to their forces. Hey, Eric, John Eric. Uh, Yeah, surprise. So... We know the story. He, he tricks her and he, he, tell, he, he gives her all these different excuses. And then eventually it says that his soul was vexed to death. Like she was just nagging him to the point of death. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? See that torn heart? Samson was still holding on to an ounce of his heart. He knew that he was special. He knew that he was called out. He was protecting a piece of himself that he hadn't given over. And she said, no, I'm coming for all of it. Desire entices all of your heart. And she pushed him and she vexed him to death. And verse 17 says, and he told her all his heart. And said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God, chosen, called out, special from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and I'll be like other men. Samson was confused because he thought it was all about the gift, the strength, the talent. He forgot that it was about the giver of the gift. He forgot that it was about the source of the power. And that's what desire will do. When when the devil has reached into your heart and desire has worked her way, she will convince you that if you don't have the gift, the strength, the talent to offer, you are useless. And that's how Samson got derailed. He said, man, I'm, I'm a Nazareth. I'm a big deal. If you cut off my hair, I am useless. I'll be as weak as any other man. And it wasn't because his hair was cut that he couldn't overcome the Philistines, just because the Spirit of the Lord left him that he couldn't overcome the Philistines. He told her all his heart. They bound him up. They shave his head. He falls asleep. Delilah wakes him up. And he says, I will go out as any other time and shake myself free. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Why is it so important to wake up to the enemy's scheme of desire? Because I don't want it to be said of me, 
Yeah, let's use Jim's life as an example of what not to do. I will use his death greater than his life. No, we got to wake up now. We got to guard our hearts now. How do we how do we guard our heart? The way that I thought he was coming to take me off the stage. I'm at 1529. I'm like, oh, Jeremy Powers is coming. I'm going to wrap up right now. <laughs> the scheme of desire. You know the way that you guard your heart? Psalms 37, 4 puts it beautifully. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you want a heart pure and steadfast, pointed true north on the Lord, delight in him. How do you delight in the Lord? What does it mean to delight in the Lord? The word actually means soft, pliable, tender, or delicate. In other words, the way that we guard our heart is by being vulnerable with our heart. And I know that makes no sense, but there's so many paradoxical statements in the Bible about this. So the way that we guard, the way that we protect our heart is that we offer it up. We surrender it to the Lord. We tell him our vulnerabilities. We tell him where our heart is off. We tell him we're, we're honest about our insecurities. Delight in the Lord. Put your heart in a delicate place to the Lord. Allow him to break your heart. Allow your heart to be tender before him, pliable, soft, delicate before the Lord. And if we do that, if we allow ourselves to be broken in his presence, then and only then the Bible promises he'll give you your desires. And by the way, those desires will be made new. They won't be the sinful, lustful ones. They'll be the ones that are really your true self. Those will be the desires that the enemy has skewed to turn into something that's not true about you. Guard your heart. Deceit is coming for your heart. The other three come for your mind. This desire comes for your heart. Guard it. Delight in the Lord. Stay tender. Stay broken before him. And he will allow you to end well. Something Samson could never say. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that as we just sang about something has to break, I pray for our hearts to be broken before you this morning. Help us to remain tender and delicate before you this morning, soft. Keep us teachable. Keep us humble. We allow you to come and share in our weaknesses, our insecurities. And for some that have been broken before by this world, by others, by bitterness, by somebody walking out on them, a broken family, we, we're a little bit more guarded with our heart. And so for those folks I relate with that. And I pray for us that we would allow us, allow us ourselves to be vulnerable before you, to be broken before you. That you would come invade all of our weaknesses and our insecurities and the places where we don't feel sure of ourselves, the places where we know we're off. I pray that you would put in check, that you would guard us against those false desires. God, I pray that you would be the desire and the delight of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, well, now we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about something very exciting. It's one of those milestone celebration Sundays, and if you've been for us for a while, you know that we're in the middle, really the beginning, six months in, to a capital campaign to build our future location at 1017 Bickley Road. Amen. And so we've been working hard towards that. And if you'll look right up here, this has been our 
uh, logo. This has been our theme for the building campaign. Next 10, expecting immeasurably more. And ironically, Serena even quoted that verse for us already this morning. We sang it in that first song, but it goes like this. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Everybody say immeasurably more. Then all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's been our rallying cry for this campaign. We've been around for 10 years now. And so last year we wanted to really capture a moment of time of looking back over God's faithfulness, but also reaching for what he has next. So we came up with this idea of next 10. We've been a church for 10 years. It means so much more than just the next 10 years, though. It means the next 10 families. It means the next 10 Use. It means the next 10 individuals that we need to create a welcoming space for. So we've been after that, and we set out uh, the beginning of November. We had a commitment Sunday. We all did it together, and we filled out our pledge cards, and we asked the Lord to show us what it is that he would have us give generously above and beyond our tithes. And we pledged $550,000. Amen? That was you guys. Yeah, you get a round of applause is in order for that. $550,000. Now, the goal is $700,000. All of the smart people in the church got together. They did the math of what the bank would loan us, what the building would cost. And so what's left for us to raise is $700,000. So we're going to give an update in just a second of where we're at on that thermometer of $700,000. But I need you to know something first, Okay. Before I reveal the thermometer, which we use the stained glass to do, what I need you to know is that more than just celebrating a cool number, this is a milestone this morning, but more, it's more than a milestone. It's more than just a cool number. Here's what it really represents. This number, this celebration represents the spiritual journey of obedience. Obedience. That's what we're celebrating today. The fact that you and God had a conversation, that you allowed him to work in your heart, that you kept your heart soft and tender towards him. He gave you the number that he asked you and you did it, you obeyed. So this is a celebration of obedience. This is a celebration of generosity of above and beyond. And this is a celebration of life change. So before I reveal this number to you, I wanna give you a few stats that 62 salvations we've already experienced at 1017 Bickley Road. Those seven acres right there where we've had Easter services, tent services, 62 people have come to know Jesus as their savior on that spot of land already. That's what it's all about. And beyond that, you know how many people have heard the gospel at 1017 Bickley Road? This is just rough math. It's probably more than this, but over 2,000 people have come to one of those services, one of those events at 1017 Bickley and heard the gospel. They've heard the good news of Jesus. Folks, that's what we're doing this for. And so without further ado, who wants to see the grand total of where we're at on our goal to 700K? Here we go. Drum roll, please. You can reveal the stained glass. We're at $250,000 of our 700 goal. That's already raised. That's you guys, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been a journey, and it is, it's tested me at every turn of believing God for immeasurably more.
but you guys prove me, prove to me over and over and over again that this is the God of immeasurably more, that he's going to do this. It's by his power, not ours. That's at work within us. So $250,000, that's real money that we can show the bank, hey, we're on track, we're doing it. That's well over a third of the way of our, of our goal of $700,000. So um, that's what I want to emphasize for you today. And here's the cool thing. This was, this was the milestone, $250,000 of our 700, but that's not even the real number. That's not even actually where we're at today. That's the milestone. That's what we're celebrating on this day. We've hit the mark. But do you know how much money we've actually raised for the building in this campaign? You can't talk, Maggie. <laughs> you know, we're actually, we're actually really truthfully at, we're, as of this Sunday, $261,000. So give God a hand for that. 261K, that's where we're at because of your faithfulness, your generosity. And listen, this is really about, I hope that you know our heart at Decided Church has never been about the money. I didn't even take a salary until 2020. It's never been 2021. <laughs> Good thing I'm not in charge with the dates and times and locations, but it's never been about the money at Decided Church. It's about the life change that comes because of generosity. Generosity in God's people allows us to create life change in other people. And to do that, I would just want to share a video with you that we put together. Um, we've never had the chance to show it, but we put it together a while ago. And I want you to hear the testimony of a couple that we have right here in the church and how God used uh, a generous church to move them and shape them and to the point where, they're at, where they can be generous to other people and cause life change. So you guys watch this video, and then I'll get right back up at the end. So I grew up in a Christian household. Um, the Bible was something that had always been around. It was never a bad experience. I always had a good relationship with God and I did get saved um, through a friend's church. Probably started having some bitterness towards religion and walked away from my religion in college. It was just non-existent. God was something that I thought that I could worry about later in life. and. Um, Luckily, some friends invited me to church when I was 23, and I very quickly was able to grow closer to God. Um, once again, I got baptized around age 25 as an adult, and so that was just a really nice way of making it my decision and not something that had been forced upon me. But Jesse was a totally different story. Oh yes. <laughs> so I grew up in a household with a Jewish mother and an atheist father. Wow. And um, I did not know who Jesus was. Uh, wasn't, he wasn't even spoken about. So I didn't know what was going on until I moved to South Carolina. And then um, I started going to a church and um, started to learn about Jesus, started to know who God was. Uh, my, relationship, my relationship started to grow. And then I got baptized when I was 30 years old. That's so cool. <laughs> yep, as an adult, and uh, life's been um, really amazing since then. It 
we had a lot of things going on. So um, we were heavily, heavily in debt. And then we also experienced some infertility things. So um, there was a, my, I mean, basically almost my whole twenties was a lot of surrendering to God in multiple, multiple areas of life. And our finances was just one of them. Me being a entrepreneur at heart, and all about starting businesses and trying to make a bunch of money. Um, that didn't work for me in my 20s. Um, I basically went bankrupt when I was about 26 or so when I met Jessica. And then um, after I came to Christ, I realized that this is completely outside of my control. We were trying to get out of debt at the same time when we started tithing. It actually happened simultaneously. And we did start off with a little bit. I don't think it was a full 10% of our income, but we did take some baby steps and we started to see how God would bless us by being good stewards of his resources. And then I think we quickly got up to 10%, which is what Jesus has told us to do. Yeah. And um, since then there has been so many tangible stories that we can actually convey that like, like we listen to God and he has blessed us tremendously. It was cool taking those baby steps because it was like, all right, we gave 3%. What would happen if we did 5%? What if we did 8%? And so it was neat, very gradually, but quickly getting up to that 10% and really fully trusting him and just knowing that anything we gave would be given back tenfold it was great and at that time it was hard for us every dollar we gave the church was a dollar that we could not put towards our debt right and so here we are trying to pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and you know it felt like you were taking a step back by giving that money away but we quickly realized that every time we did that that god would bless us and we had really crazy tangible like stories of things that happened um i remember at one point right around when we finished paying off our debt. Uh, Jesse had been working in a really bad work atmosphere, trying to pay off debt, and when it was done, we were kind of selling off the segment of our business. And what he got down to the dollar amount was what we needed to invest in our first um, house flip with a partnership with somebody. And so it was so cool, because we're talking about thousands of dollars here. And down to the dollar, God gave us what we needed to start this new business that we now love and thrive um, and helps us give back even more now to the church. So it's just really cool seeing that pay forward. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so yeah, when I first started tithing, um, even in small amounts, I would give to the church. And then I would see God bless us. And I give a little bit more. I see him bless us again. Not once did I ever regret giving that money, nor did I even miss letting that money go. Yeah. It, it went away and God had a plan for my life. I went on with his plan and that money went to his kingdom mm -hmm. and used for whatever that purpose may have been. I was never put in the bind to where I'm like, should I give to the church mm -hmm. or should I pay this bill? Um, I gave to the church and the bill still got paid and my life went on and God still rewarded and blessed us tremendously. It's been amazing to watch what a generous church we have. Um, the coolest story was back in March 2021 when we did a bake sale for the Salmon's adoptions and we were able to raise, I believe it was $17,000 on one Sunday. 
And because of that, I mean, the Salmons were able to pay for about half of their legal fees. It's very, you know, expensive to go in a legal battle like that. And now here we are, we still have Nikeem. They're steps away from making it permanent. And I just know the church is going to like jump for joy and be there the day that that little boy's parts. So every Christmas, another thing that's really cool is we choose something to um, give back every Christmas. And this last Christmas, not only did we pay off this building so that we now are financially ready to go and um, into this building season of building, but we were also able to get gifts for single moms and orphans. And I don't know a lot of stories that came from that tree, but I do know of one where that person was so touched that now she goes to church here, she's been saved. And, you know, giving back is not just always about whatever plastic things they bought her kids. Like, it is the life change that came because of that generosity of our church. Amen. Amen. Generosity creates life change. That's what I want you to hear from that video. The Bible says in probably the most famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Generosity creates life change. And when you are able to partner with God, in generosity, you're literally modeling the gospel. God loved that he gave to save you. And so that's what this building campaign has been all about. And this moment is our invitation for you to join us. Maybe you've been around for a while and you missed the campaign season, but you're here now and you haven't had the opportunity to fill out a commitment card, a pledge card, or to give towards the building. Will you partner with us? We need you. We need your help. And it's not about the dollars and cents. It's about the life change that's created. And so there's a couple of reasons why these pledge cards are just important. Uh, I wish it weren't this way, but it is. Number one, um, we still have about a $150,000 gap between what we pledged and what we need. So we're asking for you to join in, to partner with us, to stand in that gap so that we can see this building come into fruition. Number two, it's because we need more room around here. Look around. Uh, this morning for the first time, I've never seen the check-in line for Sprouts out the front doors, but it was. It was out the doors. So we've got to create space for our kids, the next generation, to learn about Jesus at their level in a classroom that is for their age. We have to have the space not only for who we have now, but for the next 10 families you're going to bring, for the next 10 individuals that are going to walk through these doors. And then thirdly, we need the commitment cards and the pledge cards because that's what the bank says we have to have. They, they tally the amount that they will loan us based upon those pledge cards. So those are the reasons. It's not because we're going to hound you down each, each month. It's not because we want you to have another monthly burden or bill. It's never about that. It's about the, 
opportunity to create life change because of your generosity. It's about modeling the gospel. And so during this prayer, we're going to have uh, the worship team come back up and lead us in the last song. But if you would like to partner with us, if you just want more information, if you have questions about the campaign, if you'd like some more information, uh, I want to ask that you slip up your hand during this prayer and one of our ushers will get you all the answers, the information, the brochures that you need to make, um, to just ask God, how can, I how can I be a part of this? How can I partner with this church? How can I do what you're calling me to do? So while I pray, you slip up your hand and our ushers will come to you. You don't have to move at all. And then afterward, we invite you to celebrate with us by bagels for the building, hitting our milestone of 250K, really 261. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you because uh, this is an opportunity for us, a small window to show the gospel through generosity. We're thankful that we're testimonies, standing testimonies today, that you loved us so much that you gave your son, that no dollar amount would cut it, that you gave your life for us to know you, for us to have a home in heaven. And so I pray for an individual today that doesn't know you as Savior, that this would be their moment, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and that you would save them, that they would realize today that they're a sinner, that they deserve uh, separation, death because of that, but no amount of good works, no amount of baptism or righteousness could earn a spot. It's only through your son Jesus and what he did to pay the, the full payment that he paid on the cross. And so we thank you for that model of generosity that you displayed. And we're believing in you now that the church is part of that now, that we're called to this, that, we, that we're rallying to the cry. We're answering the call that this is your game plan. We are the mystery that our enemy has been defeated, that we have the answer that this world needs. And God, we're asking that you would be the God of immeasurably more in our midst today. As we stand in miracles, we look forward to more. May the next 10 years blow our minds of the families, the lives that will be touched, the change that will happen in people's hearts as they come under the good news that Jesus loves them, died for them, and rose again for them. Help us to go tell that message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.